0: Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we are joined by spokespeople for Class Unity, a Marxist pole of attraction based in the United States. We discuss the DSA, the place of identity on the left, and the future of socialist organizing in North America.
1: Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Toute la journée Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi toute la journée merry ghost. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi toute la journée merry
0: ghost. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi. Bonjour, hi toute la journée merry ghost.
2: Welcome back to Fucking Cancelled.
0: Welcome back to Fucking Cancelled.
2: We're super stoked today. We're here with some spokespeople from Class Unity, um, which is this organization in the States that I've always been really interested in. I always see, or I always used to see, uh, like, articles by Class Unity um, posted online and stuff that I've always found really compelling um, and really liked the way that they were going about organizing. So we're super stoked to have um, um, IfST on also known as Hephaestion, depending on if you're pronouncing it in Greek or in English, and Scott here with us.
0: Welcome to the podcast, guys. Um, Thanks for having us on. um, Yeah, totally. So I guess to start, one of the things that I just wanted to ask first is, okay, so keep in mind we're Canadians um, and we definitely have American listeners, but we also have international listeners. And we also have a lot of listeners who are new to, to organizing or are kind of just interested in organizing. We don't have a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. So can you just give us some background and kind of explain what the DSA actually is and what it does?
3: That is a gigantic question.
0: <laughs> well, just maybe in, in close notes form.
2: Yeah, uh, and, D- and I guess I should say, like, super briefly before uh, you even start, that's um, for our listeners, The that Class Unity um, was a group within the DSA and is no longer a group within the DSA, which we're going to get into in further questions. But, yeah, so uh, we wanted to know what the DSA even is, and, and
3: yeah, yeah. go ahead. Um, without getting into, like, too into the individual splits and personalities, basically the DSA came out of a split in the Socialist Party USA, like – 45, 45, 50 years ago, something like that. Okay. Um, and it was sort of, uh, they were sort of anti-communist socialists. And uh, um, it sort of, um, it, it, oh, like over the decades, it sort of accrued uh, you know, uh, various relatively high-profile socialists, Barbara Ehrenreich, Cornel West, um, Bernie Sanders I don't think was ever a member, but he was associated with them. And uh, at some, at some point after, I guess, after the ISL imploded, it like became the sort of highest, the the largest uh, socialist organization in the U.S. And then when Bernie Sanders blew up in 2016, just people started glomming onto it. And now it's an organization of like 85, 90,000 people scattered across uh, chapters across the country.
0: But like, it might seem like too obvious of a question, but like, what does the DSA actually do?
4: (laughs) Sure. Uh, well, well, the the DSA is the Democratic Socialists of America, is a socialist organization that um, it. Uh, well, what is it supposed to do? It's supposed to advocate for socialist politics in America. So uh, that answer what 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 it actually what socialist politics looks like kind right. of depends on. Uh, uh, what do you think socialism is? And there are differences just, of opinion within the, right. the DSA about that.
0: So, uh, yeah, we're going to get into all of that. But like, how do they advocate for socialist politics? Like leaving aside the the contention around what that means, like what is the concrete actions that are taken? Just just in case people have no idea.
4: Well, you're they in it- engage in strike support. OK, um, they um, they endorse candidates okay. for election and they campaign for them. They campaign for specific issues uh, locally or nationally, like Medicare for All, uh, most recently defund the police. Uh, So things like that.
0: Perfect. That's helpful. Thank you.
2: Um, Okay, we're going to get back to the DSA in a sec, but for now, um, Class Unity... Uh, on your website, you describe yourselves as a Marxist pole of attraction. We're wondering what that means for you guys. Like, you know, why you chose that phrasing?
4: Sure. Well, class unity was founded as basically a caucus within the DSA, a group of people uh, advocating for Marxist politics within the DSA uh, the reason we didn't want to use the word caucus was because we don't want to limit ourselves to the DSA. Um, we were, we've were we always um, accepted members who are not members of the DSA. Uh, so that's why we cho- chose that term, Pole of Attraction, because mm-hmm. we, we wanted to, from the get-go, to advance politics, uh, Marxist-Socialist politics from within the DSA and outside of the DSA.
3: It was also important for us to... Uh... To make sure people knew that we weren't being sectarian, there were mm. there were there were all these weird Well, I guess probably still are. I have I've been out of the DSA for about a year and a half, and I'm starting to sort of lose touch with that whole thing. Um, but but there've there've always been you know the libertarian socialists. There have been sort of vaguely trot groups, um, and and we we wanted we wanted to emphasize that we're we're Marxist broad church. You know, okay. we're not we're not one you know one thing in that
0: absolutely because there's a lot of hair splitting that happens and people yeah, not, 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 not being able right okay so broadly speaking what would you say is the mission of class unity <laughs> big question
3: it's it's a huge question because we also just split so we're right. we're having like democratic debate like with any right. organization right now but i think i don't think anyone in class unity would uh, would argue that we want to build a Marxist base inside of the American working class with the goal of engaging class politics rather than professional class politics uh, – I'm I'm sorry, working class politics rather than professional class politics – with the long-term goal of building an, an American workers' party, which can compete against bourgeois parties.
1: Love and,
3: to hear it, but that's a, man, that's decades out. When I when you talk about something that far off, that that does I don't know that, that you know the debate you always have in these organizations is how does that inform the next thing that we do,
1: right?
2: Yeah, what are what are some of the positions that are uh, taking form within the debate right now?
4: Uh, well, I should first say that um, what do we mean by class politics? There's broad agreement that class politics is uh, politics that universally appeals to the working class. Mm-hmm. So that means uh, things like Medicare for all, uh, public housing, um, uh, stronger labor protections for people to form unions and, uh, you know, negotiate for better pay against their bosses. Uh, that's, that's the stuff we'd all agree about.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: right? So, um uh maybe the conversation we're having now is how do we as you know um the organization with the members that we have now with the resources that we have now what should we be doing uh to to advance class politics with the long term goal of building a workers party and i think that it's going to be some sort of combination of um uh, supporting labor and recruiting, you know, union members, um, advocating for universal working class issues like Medicare for all, and having some sort of an eye to, uh, you know, opportunities um, to run candidates in you know working class districts that could that could put uh, that could advance, you know, um, a socialist platform and agenda. Uh, So I guess the conversations that we're having now are more tactical, they're a little bit more strategic and specific to us, but I do want to make one thing clear, Um, we're not, we're not arrogant, we're not, you know, we don't see ourselves as the new vanguard of the workers, we don't want to be, we're not going to be the future workers party of America, but we, we do want to engage in the class struggle that advances that mission and hopefully we can be part of a much bigger coalition in the future that will become the, the workers party in America.
2: I honestly appreciate that so much. And We've talked Mm -hmm. about this on the pod before, and I just, I rant about it constantly, but one of the things that bothers me so fucking much about Marxists in general is that everyone wants their tiny sect to be the future Vanguard Workers' Party, and they're always making lists of, like, the enemies that they're going to liquidate and all this kind of shit, you know what I mean? And it's just, like, it's so, like, stop LARPing, you know? Like, yeah, we all, like... My thing has always been that if you're not willing to like join your organization to like with other like Marxists, then like you're you're a joke, you know. Um, but yeah, anyways, speaking of joining and not joining, um, so class unity has you know historically been part of the DSA, right? Um, basically, the way I understand it is that the DSA sort of advocates within the Democrats to like push the Democrats left or like use their machinery to sort of get progressives elected and shit like that, and then class unity. Sort of doing the same thing inside the DSA. Um, I don't know how accurate that is, but basically, um, I read, I guess it was last month or two months ago or so, um, that class unity decided to make a hard break with the DSA. Um, and I would like you guys to tell us about that, why you're leaving the DSA, what happened. Um, yeah.
4: Sure. Well, um, I can give my own version of the story. And Scott, if you have anything to add, you can jump in. Yeah. I think uh, the recent history of the DSA is really interesting uh, before the Bernie campaigns it was it it had always been a pretty conservative relatively conservative organization in the sense that uh, it really wants to keep attached to the Democratic Party and try to move it to the left um, which, you know, in my opinion, is not a serious way to advance socialist politics because the Democratic Party is never going to be something you can reform. Um, It's just got too many resources. It's way too well-funded. And, you know, um, the capitalist parties have a grip. Uh, The capitalist class has a grip Mm -hmm. on both parties, the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. So uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign caused a huge wave of populist energy and interest in socialism. Which which caused like, um, you know, all the socialist parties of, of, of all the socialist organizations in America, including the DSA, to just balloon in size, and all the new members of the DSA, the new cohort, pretty much displaced the old um, conservative, um, you know, the old hats, um, and there was there was a moment of hope there that uh, maybe we could um, get together and you know, form an independent, you know, workers party that could fight the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, and contest for like real class, you know, politics for universal programs like Medicare for all and things like that. And there was a big, you know, really energetic, boisterous conversation within the DSA on how to build a new workers party. And, uh, basically, um, the, the people who won that debate were people who advocated for a so-called "dirty break" strategy, which means we will continue to run candidates on the Democratic Party line. Uh, uh, so we're going to continue to run people um, in Democratic primaries, but they'll be part of this sort of this organization that holds them accountable, that tells them uh, what to do, and when we have a big enough number of Of politicians or of of statesmen elected, uh, we have a big enough base. Then we can break from the Democratic Party. But that break never came, and ever since that day, we've just the DSA has just continued to run people as Democrats in Democratic primaries. And the sad thing is that most of the people that you know DSA supports once they get elected they kind of downplay the class struggle and the socialist part of their platform. And they pretty much just become Democrats, uh, and in, in all of the standard ways that you can imagine, they don't advance class struggle. They don't advocate for universal programs like Medicare for all or things like that. They're traitors to the cause. Um, so, um, anybody that's look and anybody who has their eyes on that situation should be able to tell, but there's kind of a denial in the DSA that, um, you know that that's what's happening. So it became clear to us that um, not only is the DSA, you know, not serious as an organization as a whole, not serious enough about building a workers' party, but in many ways it sort of actively fights against the development of a workers' party uh, because um, you know there are too many interests in the DSA that are connected to the Democratic Party. At this point, it's it's sort of their job. Um, to keep it in to keep it in the pen
3: Scott you want to chime in uh yeah this there's 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 not much that I have to uh to to quibble with with this about um I I have a I have a sort of I have a sort of a a long like I to my knowledge I I was in the 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 democratic Socialist America longer than any class unity member I was in for 16 years like I, I joined like during the Bush administration um I, uh, (laughs) embarrassingly, the first vote I ever cast was for George W. Bush in 2000, but I was like a stupid 19 year old.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, and the war in Iraq, uh, uh, radicalized me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I got married to a woman who was in the Marine Corps and I had the wonderful experience of like holding our daughter while she like walked across a flight, a flight line to get shipped off to a war that, you know, we all knew was a total cash grab on the part of elites. <clears throat> and like within two months, I was just like Googling socialism. I was like in a town of like 15,000 people in North Carolina. There was nobody to hook up with. Mm. And so I joined the DSA and I was in for 16 years. Like I saw the, 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 the organization. Oh, and the reason I joined up too is because I noticed that, you know, two people I mentioned before, Cornell West and Barbara Ehrenreich were members. You know, these are people I'd read that had like helped push me along that path like looking at my own class like that it's it, it was that book nickel and dime by barbara Ehrenreich, right like i felt like that book like opened up like like it, it made me look down at my own class like the way other people mm-hmm. see us um that that was the real radicalizing experience you know those things and i saw a dsa blow up and <clears throat> finally gave me an opportunity to start really to really participating in stuff because I have just never lived in like, I've never, like I've never lived in a big, in, I've never lived in like Chicago, LA, NYC. Um, and, uh, so I eventually was able to start becoming active in democratic socials of America here and here in Richmond, Virginia, where I live. I'm not, I'm not from here. I'm from El Paso, Texas, but that's, that's where I'm at now. And, uh, <clears throat> um, it was really nice, like meeting comrades who were active in labor issues. Meeting people who, you know, just like we're saying, advocate for, you know, the good social stuff. You know, the 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 Medicare reform. You know, the 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 um, and anything else you can mention. But like when you start getting into the into like the way these these socialist groups uh, like actually act, it's horrible. It's the most poisonous, awful personalities. i've ever met i I don't want to paint everybody like that i miss some good comrades that that i still work Mm -hmm. with and stuff today but the the bad ones were bad (laughs) um there's a there's a there's a guy there's a guy here in in richmond who has this wonderful habit of like going on twitter and like threatening violence against like other dsa members like whole chapters whole caucuses including class unity by the way and uh that sort of happened at the same time that it was so obvious that a lot of these national DSA electors, like Jamal Bowman, like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, were drifting away very slowly from uh, what we thought we'd push them up there for. You right. know, and I don't want to paint every elected like that. To my knowledge, Bernie Sanders and Rashida Tlaib have not cast one one bad vote. You know, from from our perspective, right. Um, Sanders is like trapped in Amber from the late, from the late sixties and he's not going to move. And, and Rashida Tlaib is a working class person in a working class district, district in Detroit, like her, the class interests of herself and her constituents is to vote like that. Um, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't uh, apply to all of them. And I finally came to this breaking point, uh, early 2022, where I, it just got too much and I was out. I quit the mm-hmm. chapter. I quit the national again, after 16 years of membership. And then. I'd always heard of Class Unity and, and thought well of them, but I had not ever met a member. Mm. Um, uh, Class Unity is, is, is really concentrated in Chicago, where Heff lives. Um, there's, there's some, like there's a very large local of, of, our, of our organization there. There's other, there's other smaller locals scattered around the country, but like where I live in Virginia, there I think there are I think two members.
0: Okay,
3: and it's like that in, 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 a, in a lot of the South and a lot of the Mountain West. And, uh, anyway, I got recruited online by, by, by a member of our central committee and, and I I moved in. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's the whole, that's the whole thing with DSA. You, you, it's, it's too much, too much reliance on professional class bullshit. It's too much reliance on trying to push the democratic party, which is one of the oldest and and most well-funded and most powerful political parties in the history of mankind. Um, you can't, you can't push them. What, what, what are you gonna? How, how is, how is eighty five thousand socialists going to push an organization like that? Anyway, it's never going to happen. Um, it has to. Any change in this country has to come from outside.
0: So, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what it was like working within the DSA, and in particular, like I just kind of want to pull out. We've heard some things um, on the internet, you know, hmm. and. This professional, like managerial class stuff. We've talked a little bit about that on the podcast. Um, but can you say more about what that means and about how that you saw that playing out in terms of organizing, um, and like the the toxic stuff that you're referring to about people behaving in certain ways online um and in the organizing spaces? Um, yeah, can you just say more about that?
3: Heff's got this perfect typology of this called well the, the the two kinds of people that make the most trouble. You should run away with that, man.
4: Um, I actually feel like that's a bit uh, um, that's a bit in the weeds. Oh, sorry. Um, we should get to it. Um, right, right. I think. I think. I feel like I want to I feel like I want to uh, talk a little bit about the middle class and what we understand to be the middle class and why we think that the DSA is not a working class organization. It's mm-hmm. a middle class organization. And that's where all of its problems stem from. So, and um, in, in the in the class unity analysis of the DSA, uh, its biggest problem is that socialist politics is at its core, uh, a politics for the working class. And it relies on a movement, a mass movement of working class people uh, fighting for their own material interests. And most members of the DSA are basically people that are not working class, they're in the middle class. And uh, they don't understand that about themselves. They consider themselves uh, just working class and fighting for their own interests is, is is fighting for working class interests. That's what socialism is all about. (laughs) So, uh, a lot of socialists, especially in the DSA will deny that the middle class is even a thing that exists because for them, uh, under a Marxist framework, there's the working class people who make the goods, who get paid for a wage. And then there's the capitalist class who own the means of production. They own the businesses and they pay money to workers. Right. So, uh, The the logic there is that I don't own the means of production. I get paid a wage, I get paid a salary, so that makes me working class. And that's not right. That's not Marxist either. Uh, Marx actually talks about the middle class um, in a lot of his works, including theories of surplus value. He says that uh, between the working class who work the means of production and the capitalist class who own the means of production, there's a middle layer of workers that the capitalist employs to to manage and discipline the workers on behalf of the capitalist class. So at the business firm level, what that looks like is management. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the business owner has a manager and HR people who, you know, they make the rules. Um, They can fire you if they don't like you, or if you don't follow the rules, if you act out of line Uh, and, uh, uh, obviously you can see how at the firm level the interests of managers and hr uh workers are directly opposed right to the to the interests of the working of, of the workers right it's their it's their job to discipline workers um but there's a a, a wider but the middle class isn't just those people it's it, it's a wider category that includes um any any job whose function is to to manage people in some way so um and it's it's not only it's not just cops it's not just managers it's also you know uh journalists who work for media companies that are owned by by rich corporations those they're paid to to propagate capitalist ideology um you know um and confuse class politics. So it's it's journalists, it's uh, people who work in in universities, um, also control that. There's no there's no <laughs> there's no workers movement within universities, um, and uh, uh, people who work for NGOs also funded by basically the democratic you know basically the government, which is in turn controlled by uh, the capitalist parties. Um, there's this huge you know ideological propaganda and like government apparatus, um, of workers whose job is to, um, to, to manage working class people, um, through different means, um, either through violence or through ideology. And, uh, those types of workers are, are the main, are the main demographic within the DSA. Uh, That's the core problem. Um, And they think that by advocating for their own interests, they're advocating for the entire working class, but they're just not. Um, I can give a concrete example of that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, a couple of years ago, um, there was a huge movement to defund the police, and DSA was a part of that. But who benefits from defunding the police? Well, if you defund the police, you're you're firing some, you know, some workers, some cops, and you're funding some teachers and social workers. So basically, that's an internal war between different factions of the middle class. Um, but, you know, how do you actually solve crime? You don't solve crime by defunding the police. You solve crime by eliminating, you know, um, eliminating, you know, the, the, the motivation to, to, to steal and to loot and everything like that. So it's the universal uh, programs that actually help working people that are that can solve crime. Things like Medicare for all, things like public housing, all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not enough attention of that in the DSA. Um, it's just these sort of like little, um, you know, you know, the, the, these little different projects. These kind of like fads of projects that you know basically serve to distract from the important issues.
0: Yeah, I've noticed that you know what what we call the nexus on this podcast or what you might call like social justice culture is very like at least in my experience like university like educated people and adjacent you know um and i also see this thing where it's like knowing the rules of how to speak that way knowing mm-hmm. the current like um the current slogans the current issues and the correct way to talk about them is also a way of like flagging that like you're in the in group and you get it right and you're not going to be yes. reprimanded um, because you know the right way to talk and so like there's this this reduction of politics to like a repetition of phrases or like a repetition of takes that people just keep repeating because they're the correct takes to have and if you have them you will be like rewarded within your organization or your university or whatever because or on social media you know people are going to applaud you for it but if you disagree you're going to get in trouble or if you don't understand you're going to get in trouble so it has the effect of both like crushing um actual diversity of thought within the left or like dissenting opinions because if it's not the hot take then you're going to get in trouble but it also has the effect of totally alienating workers who didn't fucking go to university and who don't know these rules like these sort of like um, it's almost like a type of manners I think I mentioned this on the podcast yeah I think I mentioned this on the podcast before in a different episode about like you know rich people put their spoons on their forks in a certain way like do you know what I'm talking about? There's like certain forks and they go in on yeah. the line. And it's like knowing about which fork goes where and which fork you're supposed to eat with was like a way of flagging your class status. And like if somebody doesn't normally have five forks, they would be like, I have no fucking idea what to do with all these forks. I feel like in a certain way, like the social justice stuff it functions like that because knowing the rules is a way of flagging your class position. And so when you don't know the rules, you're outing yourself as someone who doesn't have that position and it's super fucking alienating. Um, so yeah, I get the sense from what you're saying that there's also a lot of that going on a lot of like posturing and like performative politics, which is flagging hi, I'm in the in group. But by doing that, it's actually like having the opposite effect. Like it's not welcoming workers into the party. It's actually alienating them.
2: Um, yeah, I've, I've also written before about how there's this thing where people assume, like people who are in that milieu, you know, they assume that um, people who are oppressed in various ways, uh, also automatically agree with their particular kind of, like, university-educated, like, takes on things. Um, and so they assume, therefore, that if they keep repeating these takes, that they will get more oppressed people to, <laughs> to uh, uh, you know, agglomerate around them. Whereas in reality, like most people who have had difficult lives and did not go to university and like have a lot of shit going on, like don't have time to uh, bother trying to understand whatever like insane thing you're saying um, and don't care to you either, you know. And so it has exactly the opposite of effect of what they presume that it would have, um, which is extremely frustrating. Um, okay, listen, guys. Imagine if tomorrow you magically were made in charge of the DSA executive, and you got to uh, you got to enact like three wish list policies. Um, do you think there would be a way to salvage the DSA, or is it just
3: totally fucked? It's completely fucked. <laughs> and, and 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 look, this isn't this isn't a uh, a broad denunciation of every DSA member. I was in DSA for. Yeah, yeah my, you know sure. almost a third of my life. I mess some great I met some great comrades in the DSA. But like no, it's it's just fucked, man. Like there's 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 too many there's too many um there's too many professional class people with professional class interests. Um it's too it's way too federalized. You know um I, I, I think I think we can fetishize localism a bit too much on the left you know um the each chapter is, is running their own shit and that's i mean and l- on some level it's a good thing you know it, 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 local conditions and let's have little laboratories of how to think about socialism before we blow them up to the national stage but everyone's running a different line nobody agrees with anybody um i i don't i don't i i'm not saying that how can I put it (laughs) if I had if I had some secret police force I don't know there's there's no way to make this happen (laughs) I don't you know I I don't I don't I don't think that there's any any way to to reform the democratic socialist of America into like an effective fighting socialist working-class organization as I understand it here's the thing though um (laughs) <laughs> I'm in a construction union like I I did go to university but like I was like married with a child when I did and I went to a big state school in New Mexico mm-hmm. like the sort of um the HR universalism ticks that infest the left I I got I got nothing I don't I can't speak that language and, it, and yes I will say being that fucking guy in meetings was often extremely alienating mm-hmm. you know um even, okay, even saying the pronouns, you know, was a little difficult at first, you know? Mm-hmm. I understand why. I'm not trying to even hate on it, you know? But, like, if you've never encountered anything like that in your entire life, like, it's, it's a hard sell at first. You know? Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean, for sure. Um, and if and the only
4: uh, time you've ever heard of it before that was, like, an HR training session. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah,
4: you HR know, is, HR is not your friend.
3: Connection.
2: Yeah, it just reminds you of your boss or whatever.
3: You're yeah, sure. the, the, the the PMC is jam full of people. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. My fault. No, 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 go ahead. Go, <laughs> ahead.
0: go ahead. Go ahead.
3: The HR, I mean the 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 the, the professional class left is jam full of people who think that they can HR their way into socialism. HR is not your friend. HR is your enemy. They are your class enemy always. Yeah. And they don't they they, they can't they can't get it. That's it. I'm sorry.
0: No. Um we agree and I mean like I think like the pronoun shit, it's like, if, if you're introducing a concept to people in such a way that it's like a new way for them to get in trouble, you know, Mm. um, that is not welcoming and it's stressful and it's scary. And it's like, it's not actually, I don't think a way to build solidarity among like trans people and people who have never heard about pronouns. I think it's actually a way to make people who have never heard about pronouns, very stressed out about trans people, because it's like, you're being introduced to this in a way that is immediately like, if you don't do this, this exact way right now, you're going to get in trouble, which is not welcoming. It's not a way to build solidarity. One one question I like organically want to ask sort of just coming out of this conversation because basically, okay, like I'm fully like, I have, I've had a weird life, but I'm definitely like a university educated person. Lots of people that I know are, you know, kind of questioning social justice culture, but they definitely are this group that you're talking about. They're like kind of middle class or adjacent. They have, you know, this kind of university education or adjacent. And what I want to pull out is like, I don't want to leave people thinking that just because you have that class position or that level of education, that that means that you are like inherently and necessarily the enemy of the working class. And what I wanna ask you guys is like, how do you think people who are in that class position or have that history or that kind of language, how they could enter into relationships of solidarity with the working class?
3: It's a great question. Um, there's, there are often, I mean, even class, class unity obviously has plenty of, plenty of people who are professional class who are PMC. Mm-hmm. It's like this in every, in every socialist organization. I think it's probably lower in oral organization as a percentage than in Democratic social America. Whatever else you want to pick out, um, it's just you just be a you just be a, a comrade, you know. <laughs> yes. Like that's, so that's it. It's not, it's not even it's not even complicated. <laughs> like like Barbara Ehrenreich, a uh, uh, a Ph.D., mm-hmm. uh, like fully credentialed new left person, like wrote a book that brought me to socialism. Yeah. Like every person on this call, like worships Adolf Reed. Yeah. You know. Um, it's it's uh you know it's just be a comrade and don't act maybe i should say don't be in a position where you're going to be consistently acting against working class or working class interests. don't be a cop don't be an hr person don't be what whatever the equivalent of that is in whatever like your roto is but it seems pretty simple like don't (laughs) don't try to like crush workers for not being you Mm
1: mm-hmm
4: I think what I would say is that um, you can definitely be a middle class person and um, you know be an ally to the cause. And I think even a lot of middle class people, even most middle class people, would probably benefit from the universal policies that we advocate mm-hmm. for. Um, so better healthcare systems should help everyone. Uh, better housing should be good for everyone. Um, you know, having, you know, secure food, secure jobs, really everybody benefits from those things. So I guess, um, maybe if you're listening to this podcast and you consider yourself, you know, part of the, the middle class, I would say, um, what do you think, um, what do you think the political priorities should be? Do you think, you know, the things that need to change are basically, uh, economic, like alleviating poverty, uh, like help have helping people get the the healthcare that they need, um, helping people get the housing that they need. Uh, if those in your mind are priority, you're already, um, you're already basically like, you're you're already there with me, yeah. you know. Uh, so all we really need, uh, is to get together to talk about, you know, how we can get there. Um, and I think. Uh, in an organizational level, it really helps to have political education um, and an individual level, um, you know. Um, uh, so our courses are free to the public. Um, you, we, we, we hold them online. So uh, if you go to classunity.org and, and go to the education section, we have a recurring intro to class unity. We'll teach you pretty basic um, concepts about socialism and, and Marxism and um you know, some, some economics and politics that will not just help you, you know, uh, think through these issues, but understand the world, uh, really, because like this stuff is hidden away and <laughs> it's really useful stuff. For um, sure. Yeah. But overall, I would say don't, don't worry too much about your class position. But um, I think generally, if you're in a, in a socialist organization that, has, that wants to advance class struggle, um, there needs to be an awareness among all of its members that the way to get there really is by, um, you know, um, recruiting working class people, um, and, and as many, as many as as possible, and even middle-class people that agree with you, um, you know, and, you know, trying to build a mass movement. That's the way.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's useful to, also show middle-class people about how they're kind of being screwed over by this ultimately. Like, it's like, it seems good because you kind of are getting some rewards. You know, you have a cushier life than, than working class people do, but like at what cost, you know? And um, like, how much power do you really have? And do you like it, you know, that you can't afford to buy a house And there's people who own multiple yachts. Like, I think that kind of thing, because I I think the middle class now, it's even like we don't, people who are middle class don't have the same kind of expectations in life that they did a generation ago. Like, even like home ownership is out of reach for a lot of people who are within the class positions that we're talking about. And so I'm like, that's pretty fucking bleak. Like, if you're like cushy middle class life where you're scolding people below you doesn't even get you a house to live in then maybe it's time to join with those people that you're scolding and, uh, make some demands.
2: Yeah, for sure. And I think I've, I've read people writing about the PMC, the professional managerial class who are pointing out that like, yeah, it's, it's like a class position, like sorta, but also it's like a, it's like a, like a orientation, you know, it's like a, it's like a way of looking at the world. Right. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important to get through to people who are in that class um, that they can, yeah, they can, they can change the way that they view the world and not have uh, a worldview that is sort of like pro-PMC, but have one that is um, in favor of the interests of the entire working class. You know, I think a lot of middle-class people get into socialism um, originally because they are aware on some level that they've had like these, these comforts, you know, and then they look around at the world and they're like, why doesn't everyone have this? It's like super unfair. It's like really ridiculous that, that, that this isn't like more equitable, you know, at least I think that that was very much the case for myself. Um, I come from a middle-class background, you know, um, and I think another thing that f- for me was was interesting was, like, I, I'm from Quebec, you know, and in Quebec, I mean, it's run by neoliberal fucking pieces of shit right now, but we have this, like, strong socialist legacy, and, you know, in Quebec, you can go to university and get an entire degree for, like, a couple grand, and there's a reason for that, you know, it's that people, like, fought for that, for, like, really hard for a long time, you know, um, and made it so that, like, uh, if the government tries to raise the tuition, and education's public here, like higher education is public. If the government tries to raise tuition, people literally like brought down the government last time they tried to do that, like through a year of strikes.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so, and for that reason, people who go to university in Quebec, I mean, obviously have like a a, a different class position Um vis-a-vis the working class but many of them also just are working class people because it's not difficult to go to university in Quebec you know um you don't need your parents to pay a hundred thousand dollars or whatever to or and, and and once you get out of university you're not in like 15 years of debt either you know and and I want people to realize that like um institutions like that that are public can uplift working class people until they have the Uh, kinds of comforts and benefits that many middle-class people have throughout the west right Mm. Um, anyways that was a bit of a tangent but i hope that made some sense
0: (laughs) um so the next question that we want to ask you about is this concept called wreckerism i don't know if you guys have heard of wreckerism um we definitely heard about it online um but we've kind of taken it up i don't know where it originally comes from but basically like one of the things that i've been doing lately is doing sort of like free consults with leftist organizers who are being wrecked um, and who want some kind of language and strategy for figuring out why their organizing keeps imploding. So... Basically wreckerism, you know, people who listen to the podcast have heard us talk about it before, but it comes in a few different forms. It can be like constant internal, like critique and hair splitting to the point where it's impossible for the organization to function. It can also come from like external, like cancellation campaigns and call outs against organizers. Um, But it's basically the left constantly imploding. Um, So one, I want to ask, you know, what's your experience with wreckerism, but also, has class unity thought at all about kind of like approaching the concept of wreckerism and like how to protect itself from wreckerism? Do you guys have policies about it or how would you address that if wreckers come to class unity?
3: Um, I think, I think uh, the, the concept of wreckerism actually came from the old, uh, you know, pro-Soviet communist parties of, of, of Europe. And it was mainly directed at Trotz which is which is fine if you ask me, but, um, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, in, in, I think in DSA's in DSA's outlook, we are the wreckers. Interesting. <laughs> um, right. We're, we're the ones we, we, you know, we were the ones sort of, um, um, you know, shit talking, shit talking the national and, and finally like went out. Um, we had, we had a split. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when was it half like la- la- early last year? Was it? Last year, um,
1: yeah, um, and
3: and uh,
4: yeah, New Year's last year.
3: I actually, I want to. I'm actually, I actually want to uh, start a conversation among among class unity about how to proof against that. I don't actually know the answer about how to proof against recordism. Um, I I have the idea that it sort of involves having a real democratic conversation as an organization about where we need to be and um holding each other to that in a way that's not destructive of solidarity that's what i think but I, I need to talk to my comrades about that and i don't know what that looks like on a basic like tactical operational level besides just being nice and talking about shit before you run with it mm-hmm.
4: i have a couple of ideas um i think uh you can let me know if i'm if, if i'm right about this uh but Wrecker um, is as, as you described them on your podcast um, tend to have a certain set of politics right and to to, to toe that line so it, it tends to be very um, I don't know identitarian politics mm-hmm. and like cancel culture politics so um, um, so I think political education is a good way to prevent um, mm-hmm. recordism because if you if you arm your members with um, with the arguments against identitarianism, why it why it's bad for worker solidari- solidarity? Solidarity uh, against um, you know uh, again um, middle class HR managerial culture like call out culture,
1: mm-hmm.
4: um, like cancel culture. That's what is cancel culture? You're fired.
1: Yeah. That's what it
4: is. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's it's totally man. It's a totally managerial mindset. Um, so, um, you know, I think some sort of political education about, about the middle class and it probably would help and about, you know, what it takes to build solidarity. And, uh, one other thing I would say is take a very principled and firm stance against alienating subcultural practices, which as you said, Clementine do come from the middle class. Um, um, Or did I say that wrong? Clementine, Clementine, (laughs) it's okay. okay. Clementine, sorry. (laughs) Um, uh, Like they do come from like the middle class, Um, and so if um, you know, so if 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 the Rutgers come into your organization, I mean, and they say you know, let's do let's do prono disclosure at the beginning of every meeting. Let's do feminist process, which you know, you know. You know, tells you that you know if you fit these identity categories, you have to be you have to be on your best behavior and stuff like that. If we just take a firm stance and say no, you can't have these, um, and um, you know, and here's why. Um, you know, uh, we're trying to to build a movement that's um, that makes all middle class people feel welcoming. That is, you know, doesn't take strong cultural stances um you know if you don't let them have their little alienating subcultural things then they'll just leave um that's in our experience that's how it's been uh so yeah that's one way to you know sort of you know you know proof your organization um is is don't give them an inch Mm -hmm. I think uh in my experience that's worked best and you know people who I mean you'll still get some people who uh sort of believe in some of that stuff, but, you know, if they, you know, if, if you just talk to them about class politics and they're on board enough to just stick around, usually those are the people you want, you know, they might not agree with you on everything, but if they're willing to stick around, um, you know, even if you take a certain, you know, principal stances against, uh, you know, those things, then, you know, I think that's a good way to filter out the bad, the bad apples
2: yeah right on i was talking to this uh this woman recently who is involved in a socialist organization in i want to say nashville somewhere in the south um it's like a smallish group but her her organization actually like made like a policy about cancel culture and they like explicitly named it and stuff which i think is awesome a lot of people like roll their eyes they put cancel culture in like little quotation marks and stuff and i'm like it is what it is man i don't know. you can call it whatever the fuck you want but it's it's like clearly happening all the time um and it has like it has these particular elements to it, right? It has these these characteristics that you can name, you can study them. Like, it's it's actually pretty easy, you know? I mean, it, it's complex, but you can look at it. You can look at a bunch of different case studies and be like, this is exactly what fucking happens every single fucking time. Yeah. You know, this is the way it goes down. This is the way that accusations get, like, uh, snowballed into, like, just crazy shit, you know? Um, and this is the way that people are intimidated into speaking up about it and, and whatever. And if you actually are able to just sort of have, like, a, a good – theoretical understanding of what this fucking process is you can then guard against it you know um it's interesting this shit i'm gonna go on another tangent here sorry but it's interesting this shit because i think that a lot of um a lot of the mechanisms of cancel culture actually like they kind of came out of uh the scariest excesses of like crazy like communist group people um but then were sort of like like forcibly blended with like hr Like language and and like etiquette but it's like this sort of thing where like someone becomes like marked as a sort of like heretic and then if anyone is near them they are also marked you know what i mean it's like this purge ideology you know but like being done by these fucking middle class like like nerds it's like very distressing
0: (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about identitarianism so i think I, I think that um, I've
4: wanted to say something. Oh yeah, say
0: something.
4: Yeah, sorry. I guess since we're on this, I think now it's time to bring in the the typology that Scott and I were, talk- okay, were talking okay, about. Okay. Can I can yeah. I
3: throw something in after that too, real quick?
4: Yeah, yeah, oh, wonderful, yeah. Wonderful. Sure. So uh, first of all, I mean, let's be clear about like what what cancel culture does. Uh, cancel culture and you know this this like managerial um, these managerial attitudes that like you know, flow between in organizing spaces, they have a certain function. Um, they have a political function. Their, po- their function is to wreck, uh, their, their function is to wreck organizations to, um, to you know, to, to, to break worker solidarity. Uh, so there's, you, you know, let's, it's, it's not like, you know, I, I think we have to be clear about what it is. It's a certain agenda and it serves certain interests. And in the DSA, what I've seen is leadership is totally okay with cancel culture, because they can use it to their own ends. Mm-hmm. They can cancel their own political opponents um, by using, you know, by, by using cancel culture um, and, and identity politics against them. Um, so, um, I don't know, um, That's that might not be totally related to what I'm about to say, but we can get into that, Scott. So mm-hmm. there are, um, so when, when we talk about, um, you know, some of these like alienating subcultures, like clapping bands are one, uh, mm-hmm. don't clap because you'll, you'll disrupt people with like, I don't know, um, auditory sensitivity or things like that. Um, you know, uh, they there are some like really ridiculous things um, that sort of um, are geared towards sort of like kind of treating people as babies and like catering to their every single need. Um, And in these organizing spaces, you do get people who, um, who who do kind of act like babies. They're like very like emotionally, like not totally functional people (laughs) Uh, and they just, they go into these spaces and they sow chaos. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> they yeah. just,
4: they don't know how to behave. They don't know how to behave. Um, they're always yelling. They're super disruptive. So these are the babies. We call them the babies. Okay. Um, and <laughs> Sometimes if, they call themselves if,
0: the babies too.
4: Yeah, I don't know if you know those. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then there's another group of people which makes the matter worse. Wait, are you about are the, to say the adults in the
2: Please r- say your, but. Okay, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No. No, it's, very, it's, it's much more um, Freudian than that.
4: yeah 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 um, So there are, are adults in the group who who are totally you know you know mentally stable, like you basically responsible individuals who somehow see the need to protect these people the, the babies to like accommodate their every need um, and y- these are the mommies. So basically they want to turn these like organizational spaces into basically, um, daycare for the babies, uh, which, um, you know, in, in some ways they make the, you know, they're even worse. They're the bigger problem because like, it's, it's just like, you should know better, (laughs) you know? Um, and so when you have these disruptive people, like the right thing to do is to take a stand, to be firm with them. Uh, and if they're being too disruptive to just kick them out really, but there's like a big enough you know, group of people that are actually the adult, the adults in the room that somehow feel the need to protect them. Uh, and, you know, you, you have to, <laughs> you have to understand sometimes that an order, like if you're in a political organization, you have to expect some level of, you know, decorum and, you know, um, responsibility. Um, and at the end of the day, we're here to get things done.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and, uh, you know, if you can't handle it, go home and you can, you can come back to us when you're ready to behave. That's, that's what I, you know, <laughs> that's, what's really needed.
3: The note that occurs to me about, about is that I don't do most of the, most of the, the, the work that I do about, you know, um, you know, I can, about working class issues is not through class unity. It's through my union. Like I'm a member of the international brotherhood of electrical workers. And I I don't know if you've been in a construction worker union meeting, but people fucking yell at each other. People curse at each other. People that have like been on job sites with each other for like decades, sometimes like have like, I don't want to say violent, pretty close though. Mm -hmm. Pretty close to like violent levels of disagreement about, about issues. But, um, in the end, we take a vote, and the union just has to go with it. You know, um, sounds it, toxic. It, it, well, it, it can be a little toxic sometimes, but I mean, like here's the thing, though. This is like the reason the reason it's it doesn't crack apart um, is its our material interests are together. You know, um, in 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 the union. You know, this is this is this is part of the issue with 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 every single left organization, including class unity are we we, we, some, we often class unity is better about it than any organization I'm aware of. OK, I'm not I'm not I'm not shit talking my group. And that's not why I'm on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, but we don't have those material ties that pull us together in, towards our interests like a union does, you know. Right. So we have to figure out another way to act, to act amongst each other. You know, Um, I'm giving too much, I'm probably giving too much to admit this to the haters and losers of the online left, but we have some pretty socially conservative members. Right. Um, And in the end, um, as long as they're not being, um, as long as they're not being too poisonous about it, and as long as they're on board with the the pro worker economic line, we're kind of just going to let them in. We're not I mean, going to make a big... We're not going to let make a big deal about it.
2: Yeah, dude. Yo, we talk about this all the time because we're both in 12-step programs, mm-hmm. man. There's yeah. this thing called the fucking primary purpose, which is that mm. 12-step programs mm. are there to get you to stop fucking drinking and doing drugs, you know? Yes. Um, And stay stopped, you know? And, and like, you can fucking... Come to a meeting if you are a conservative or you're like whatever. Like it, it's it doesn't fucking matter and your opinions can be whatever fucking opinions you want as long as you're there for the primary purpose.
0: I mean yeah. the idea that we're going to, you know, organize the working class but leave out people who have socially conservative views makes absolutely Insane. no sense at all, right? Like it's it's a total fantasy. Like if you talk to working people, many of them are socially conservative and the point is, is that you need to be able to find enough common ground to organize together. Um, so there's like a couple of things I wanted to just pull out before moving on to my next question, because I think the whole babies and mommies thing is really an interesting thing. I've never heard it said exactly like that, but I, I definitely think that there is this culture of sort of like saying that it is oppressive or inaccessible to expect people to show up in a responsible way. And to not, like, lose their shit or act in ways that are kind of antisocial or, like, wildly inappropriate. Um, and, you know, it's very infantilizing, you know, of the people who are doing it. Because it's, like, I think, you know, if you're not capable of sort of behaving in, like, a, in a level of, like, basic social behavior, then maybe you have some work to do before you can, like, show up at this meeting. Um but also, yeah, like the mommies, I think is an interesting thing because it's like, why are they doing that? And I think a piece of it is that they're at least some of them are scared. Yeah,
2: they're terrified. There's like
0: a there's like a a thing where it's like if you don't enable it or you do call question to it, like you might get into a lot of trouble. And I think that this is an important piece because if it's like you know, babies don't usually have such extreme social power. But these babies do, and they have the capacity to kind of blow up your entire life if you challenge them in any way, right? So I think that there is this kind of enabling that goes on um, of appeasement, which actually, because you just mentioned 12 steps, it kind of reminds me of like the alcoholic and al dynamic of like the like Aladons are like the wives of alcoholics who are sort of like tiptoeing around their crazy alcoholic partner because, or I I mean, husband traditionally, but could be any gender at this point um, because they just are trying to manage the crazy behavior. And so they act in very like enabling ways because they just are trying to make things better. So I don't know. I just, I kind of wanted to acknowledge that there is a certain level of fear and coercion. I think that goes along with encouraging the mommy Mm -hmm. behavior um, There's
4: also an ideological agenda at play that, that the language of oppression is really, really vague and nonspecific mm, and it can mm-hmm. be leveraged uh, to apply to any situation it, on anybody's behalf. So I mean if you, you said it yourself, if like if you if you tell a, a, a kid to behave, if that you're oppressing them, right? right. So, so that's why that's what the Marxist socialist framework is, that's what it that's why it's so useful, because it moves away from that vague language of oppression, um, and gives you something concrete. Um, you know, the problem with society is that there is an exploiter class, the capitalist class. Um, and they, they exploit, you know, working people as a class, and you know, they don't give them enough actual material. Uh, they don't give them enough to meet their actual material needs. Uh, so, um, you know, yeah. It, so you, you know, if you, if you follow the Marxist framework, you, it gives you a good way to like actual frame your political struggle, struggle so that, um, you know, you don't think that, you know, it, it won't give you the illusion. It'll disabuse you of the illusion that, you know, you know, you know, being nicer to somebody is fighting capitalism, Right. you know? Yeah.
0: So this brings me back to the question that I was going to try to ask about identitarianism. So I think that one of the ways in which this wreckerism and this like, you know, professional managerial class nonsense, if we want to call it that gets justified and held up is that people will frame it, that they will act as if this type of ideology, if you want to call it that. Is what speaks for marginalized people of various marginalized identities. And what you guys are representing, they will what they will racialize as white and they will gender as male. So basically they'll call you guys brochalists. They'll be like, Hmm. Will they have? Yes. So Hmm. this idea that you know that what you guys are saying will be represented as like class reductionism, it will be represented as basically not caring about. Marginalized people who are yes, you know perhaps working class, but who also experience things like racism or homophobia or sexism, et cetera, et cetera. And so, part of what goes on here, I'll just say my little thought about it before I'll turn it over to you, is that people conflate professional managerial class nonsense or like nexus behavior or social justice shit with being marginalized or being racialized or being queer or being a woman. And so they can basically act as if when they're acting that way, they're speaking on behalf of all of these people. And to me, it reveals that they've lived very sheltered lives because I'm like, if you have met the vast majority of people who are any number of these identities, you will see that they are not social justice wreckers. They actually have no idea what you're talking about Um, because they're just regular people who are just working and living their lives. But there's a way in which regular working person gets coded in a lot of people's minds as meaning white dudes. Um, and I think that that's inaccurate, but I think that it really sticks. And I think that there's this way in which people who do want to make sure that we're uplifting the entire working class, including people who experience racism and sexism, etc., are, um, they're concerned, or like, at least they pretend to be concerned, and they use this as a justification for continuing to doing what they're doing, right? So I basically just want to ask you guys about identitarianism. Um, Does class unity, do you guys talk about identitarianism? What are your thoughts on it? How do you guys address the class reductionist accusation, etc?
3: Let me be, let me be, let me be very clear. And this is so easy for me to say, because I'm uncancelable. There's no, there's no one, there's, there's no one on the professional left that can possibly fire me from my job. <laughs> I, I am a class reductionist and I don't give a shit. I absolutely don't give a fuck. Every, every gay person, every, every black person, every, what the fuck? I'm half Mexican American. Every Mexican American person, every, any, any, whatever you want, who is of the working class is on my side. Everyone who is not, fuck them. Like straight up. like. <laughs> You're either you're either with us or against us, by which I mean you are either of the working class or you are of the exploiting class. That's it. That's the one that's the one frame. And obviously, like, I'm not a fool sexism exists. Sexism is deeply ingrained in um, every, every, probably every culture on the planet. I'm willing to go so far as to say every culture on the planet. Um, Various ethnicities have different issues with other ethnicities, you know. Um, we have to push it back against this stuff because mm-hmm. this splits the working class. This is another mm-hmm. tool in the hands of the exploiters, right? This um and and maybe I'm just repeating the same anti-identitarian bullshit that like, you know, everyone that thinks like me has been saying for some decades now, but I'm not going to stop because it's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's, I, I, there, I can't pull any additional revelation on, on top of all this, you know, like it's, it's, it's class or nothing. It's class or nothing. Insofar as we talk about this as a group, it's mostly talking shit about people that can't get their heads right around this issue. Do
0: mm-hmm. you have anything to add to
4: that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to clarify that um, uh, Marxism is class reductionism. It's, it's a kind of <laughs> theoretical class reductionism. Uh, if you read Marx, you'll understand it very, very quickly. He says in the Communist Manifesto, The history of all hitherto existing, um, uh, um, I forget forget how he phrases it, but of society is the history history of class class struggle. struggle. There we go. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, there you go. There you go. And and so when we, when I say that the, the the fundamental problem of capitalism is that it divides society into into Different classes, uh, the, may, the main ones being the cap exploitative capitalist class and the exploited workers class. Um, that's a form of class reductionism. I'm explaining things by recourse to class. Mm. Mm. Very simple. Uh, so this, like this accusation that we don't care about uh, people of marginalized identities is totally disingenuous. It's totally bad faith. Um. W- If if you are a member of a marginalized identity, um, my question for you is, are you a member of the working class uh, or even the middle class or not? If so, then, you know, you're part of a class that whose material interests I advocate for uh, and the 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 policies that we put forward, um, you know, again, I just we like to we like to just harp on them. Medicare for all good, like public housing. All of those benefit working class people of all identities, mm-hmm. including identities that historically we considered marginalized. Um, and the insistence um, that you focus on identity uh, and things like that—it's part of a capitalist agenda to confuse class struggle, to confuse uh, class analysis uh, in such a way that you can lump in, you can sort of smuggle in um, people from the capitalist class or, you know, the managerial working class to be the spokesperson spokespeople of the marginalized. So, um, you know, uh, identity politics, what it ends up being, uh, and what the whole purpose of it is to be is to, to put in, um, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, um, sort of figureheads, um, for, um, for for the marginalized that end up being not even not even working class, um, and and like just totally representative of 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 the interests of of capitalists and um, you know, businesses.
2: Right, like it just allows the left to be run by people who don't have to be from the working class or to have working class interests at heart.
4: Right, um, and, and sorry, it's it, it's not just I it is true that, you know, these spokespeople do end up being not working class people, but the problem is that it's one person. And if you can, if it, you, if you can narrow it down to one person and control that one person, you know, and that makes it easier for, for, for your, your, whole, your whole mission to be subverted, you know?
3: It converts what is meant to, what is, what, what well, what is meant to be uh, an attempt to transform the economic base of, of societal relations into pure subcultural bullshit, which means to say, pure social stuff. What people, what what, what people who are invested in this stuff is the left is a social club, and so they fight. They fight for social power.
1: Mm-hmm. They don't
3: fight for any real changes that affect that affect the actual economic economic base of things. So we've noticed that this kind of shit
2: is particularly strong in anglo north america right um i think it's kind of like the home base of uh identitarianism of this type um it definitely it's spreading you know and and there's there's definitely like all sorts of homegrown versions of identitarianism like all over the world don't get me wrong but this type of shit really is like anglo north america right um why do you think that you know north america in particular is so fixated on identity and etiquette um, as replacements for issues of class and issues
3: of policy. I mean, it has to do. everything has to do with historical contingencies. you know? Like I, I like I th- that seems like a like a stupid Marxist cop out. but there there is something about the history of our countries. yours very much included. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that has has fed into, this um, this this current situation, you know, um, we we destroyed one people and, and enslaved another, you know, we, we you know, like we 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 continually import people from around the world, and so what that's led uh, to 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 work working class jobs that that wealthier people don't don't feel like working,
1: mm.
3: um, and it's led to a situation where we're, we're we we live in hyper diverse societies. Um where there has there's been a sort of um a university and NGO and, and and professional class um milieu over the last six years or so that sort of uh fuels um attempts to to fight socially for power, you know, based on these identitarian characteristics. Um, there are, there are, there, there's versions of this in Mexico that I'm aware of. I don't, I can't speak properly to any other country in in the Mm. world, um, for the exact same reasons, uh, the U S Canada and Mexico are not that fucking different from each other. Um, and, uh, this is, this is where we're at today. I think I, 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 I literally, I am willing to bet if you, if I had more an idea of what goes on in South Africa, you'd find the same thing. I'm willing to bet if you, if I knew more about what goes on in in France, which of course has a, has a large imported immigrant population, you'd find a lot of the same thing, you know, based on colonial histories. Um, I think it's just an artifact of literally the history of European colonization, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Do you have anything to add to that?
4: Uh, Not too much. I would just say that, um, I guess the the like the um, it the uh, the in America in the United States it's the Democratic Party and the Republican Party that uh, have their own different versions of identity politics mm. that um, that they perpetuate to uh, to divide people and it's you know I mean it it gets adapted over time to meet their to meet the interests to, to address the interests of, 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 of the ruling classes. Um, And I guess the United States is the, the economic, you know, superpower of the world. So it kind of just like, you know, it spreads through that. That's my sense. Um, And, in you know, in countries where, you know, the discourse of identity just does not make sense. Like the, 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 the relations between different ethnicities or races in other countries just are not the same. Mm -hmm. as as the ones we see in the united states um so it's it's really funny to see identity politics um applied you know all across the world uh, in these like ridiculous ways
3: it's good you brought that up kef
4: Uh, like reactionary
3: identity politics is is a a real thing and i i when i like i mean i know a lot of conservatives i mean my my my, a lot of uh, you know and their their identity politics has a different flavor because it is often focused on like white male christian cisgender identity um though not always i mean you find versions of the same conservative reactionary ideology in any in any you know any group that i've spent much time with there's certainly a version of this among mexican americans Mm. um but uh but uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, it's it's good to mention that the the right wingers got their got their thing too, you know.
0: Um. So I guess. Um, I just. I I, I want to just freestyle a question. Go for it. Um. I guess. I just want to ask you guys about solidarity. Um. And. Because I think so much of this is about, like, learning how to work together based on shared common ground, um, even if we are different from each other in many, many ways, right? And I think that, like, the idea of building, like, a, broad, a broad-based a broad workers' movement requires this capacity to build solidarity. Um, and I think so much of the social justice culture thing is, you know, people are like, well, I shouldn't have to build solidarity unless this person fully understands and accepts all of this stuff about me and the way that I see the world, right? And, And we're sort of putting forth an idea of saying, well, maybe we need to have a lower bar for working together than totally understanding and accepting everything about each other. And maybe there's a way to work together, even if we are quite different from each other. So can you guys just talk to me a little bit about what solidarity means to you and like what you think role of solidarity is or how could we increase people's willingness to build solidarity across difference
4: what i would say is the way to unite people uh is to uh point out to them where their material interests are aligned Mm
1: -hmm. and just to
4: focus on that um you know we're we're here to win something in in politics because if if you're if you're not if you're not here to win something concrete and material, you're not doing politics. Uh, so I, that's why I think it's so important to, that's why we have such a focus on the working class uh, because you know, it, it, the way I see it, there, there's no way to get anything done. There's no way to build a mass movement without um, you know, bringing as many people together on, on, on their actual common interests. Uh, so I, I think if you focus on that, um, the rest of it becomes easier. Mm-hmm. Um, you, 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 know, you find yourself, you know, you know, like, you know, um, you know, like less and less desperately looking for like ways to convince, <laughs> you know, like when, when, like to, to like talk to people, like trick them into like, you know, ex- you know, being, you know, having solidarity with one another. Um, if you can just Get people to understand that their interests align. Everything kind of falls into place, in my opinion.
1: Hmm.
3: It's about focusing on the on the work rather than the identity. Um, I mean the 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 greatest solidarity that I that I experience is just you know sometimes it's just, it's just like the most dumbass like running running lights in a hospital with with my union brothers and sisters. You know, like we're in solidarity there in the job mm-hmm. site. We make our own conditions. Um, we, we, we do, we do, we put, we, we give the contractor eight for eight and we go home, you know? Um, so building now, of course, building that in a situation where no one's getting paid to do it is, is a little more difficult, but it, it, it always comes down for me to focusing on the action, focusing on the work rather than on, on the on identity characteristics it's, it's, It seems, it seems so insane that people get all wrapped up in this stuff. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I also, I'm also like a sober guy. I, been, I, I haven't had, I got a, I quit drinking 10 in, it'll be 11 years in June. And, um, you, you felt fo- when you, when you first getting sober, right. You focus on like not drinking through that day, mm-hmm. you know, you, fo- well, I guess it's a non-action, but you're, you're essentially focused on an action. You don't get what holds back a lot of people from quitting drinking, from quitting drugs, from quitting smoking, whatever the hell is the inability to wrap their heads around changing their identity as someone who drinks, you know? So if you get, if, if, if you stay with your image, the image in your head as you know, that, that, that fun guy at the bar with the, with the glass after work, you're, you're never going to get there because you're focused on that identity. You just have to turn everything on its head to the action, which is not drinking. And it's the same thing with, with, uh, with with solidarity. It's focused on the work of of liberating the working class. I've something to add to this is just making me think, you know, and I'm gonna, I'm going to somewhat
2: answer the question that we just asked you guys before about North America. <laughs> um just cuz I'm having some thoughts here, but I really think there's this thing in the North American left, the Anglo-North American left, um where we we like really rarely focus on policy. Um or I guess, like, people who are more involved in organizing definitely focus on policy more, but the online, like, Anglo left, like, we don't fucking talk about policy, like, ever, you know? And I think that one reason for that is that we're so unused to being anywhere near power, mm-hmm. anywhere near the ability to actually make policy happen. It's like, it doesn't even, like, register, you know? But I do think that having, like, a set of policy proposals that people can rally around because they clearly embody their material interests is one way to to build solidarity. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, you know, here in in Quebec... We have a political party called Quebec Solidaire that is a socialist party. It has um, elected members in in our national assembly, you know, Um, and it it has in its platform all of the universalist policies that you guys have been talking about for the whole episode, you know, Um, and and like here there is an ability to project some power, a small amount, but some power um, into our like decision making bodies, you know, as socialists um and the party is you know it, it has like a communist caucus within it like it's you know fairly legit as as uh, left parties go um and like you know there's a lot you can make lots of criticisms about it but you can make lots of criticisms about anything um and it, it is interesting because like Quebec you know is not Anglo Quebec is French speaking and it has this like different kind of like attitude towards politics I find that that is that that informs that um and Yeah, I don't know. But I do think also at the same time, we in Canada um, and in Quebec are so, um, um, I mean, imperialized by you guys, uh, just because we're like so much smaller, you know, and like your media is so enormous. It's just this giant black hole, you know, a lot of people like aren't even like aware of the political stakes in where we live you know what mm. i mean because we're, we're caught up in american culture worship um and like arguing about like what like people should say or do if we should use like african-american vernacular english and i'm like I'm, I'm from quebec man i you know like we speak <laughs> french here like i don't know <laughs> um yeah and uh and I do think – and I – I, when I sort of was going through my, like, deprogramming of, like, all this, like, social justice shit, I, like, joined Quebec Soledad, this political party, you know, even though they're, like, dirty social democrats. Um, And I was, like, ostensibly an anarchist because I was just like, I don't know, man. They're fucking doing something, man. And if if I sat down and I was like, what is the political party that I would build from scratch to try to, like, contest shit in Quebec? It would look exactly like Quebec Soledad, you know, Um, after a couple rounds of having to grapple with reality. That's what it would look like, you know, so – Anyways, um, sorry, that was a weird long title, but.
0: so I guess just to kind of wrap things up, I want to ask you for our final question. Um, just you know, at the beginning you were talking about the long-term goal of like building a workers' party, and you're like, We're not there, but like what do you think what do you see as the trajectory that that we need to be heading on to build? this workers party that you're, you're dreaming. So talking long-term goals, how are we getting there? What is the future of socialist organizing in North America? What do you want to see?
3: I think, uh, um, I think that organizations like ours, and I'm I'm not saying that we're the, I'm not saying that we're the only one, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, like-minded people need to dig into their communities to build coalition's locals whatever 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 makes sense of working people that are organized cross industry cross union cross ethnicity blah 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 cross everything the mm-hmm. for, for uh, you know what's what's like the Marxist the, the Marxist word for it it's like turning it into a, a, a class for itself you know mm. like, working people organize consciously as working people. Um, and that needs to spread. That is probably going to have to be coordinated by national or at least regional organizations. I'd like to submit class unity could be, could be one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to push forward local, to push forward workers' politics, this probably starts with pushing people into the most local elected offices. Um, I got, I got no problem with, with electoralism. Um, it, it's, it's not my main focus. I haven't, I haven't voted in like 12 years, but like if there's a, if there's a good workers candidate for city council, uh, County board of supervisors, uh, school board, what have you, I'm there, you know, mm-hmm. and those elections also often cost practically nothing to run. Um, and start pushing people up those ladders in places where we can dig in in this way into the working class, and start pushing people up the up the chain. You know, at some point, you know, every like super principled Marxist communist is probably going to have to have a little reckoning for themselves, sort of themselves, that they're existing as a pressure group inside of a dog shit social democrat party. Like the, like the one that, that you're part of, Jay. But like, I would, man, I would join a dog shit social democratic party that actually was effectively, organ- effectively organizing for, for, for the working class in a heartbeat. Oh my God, what a dream. What a dream in, in this country, in, in the United mm-hmm. States of America. Um, and that is, so, and that, that's, that's part of what class unity wants to do. Um, not tilting at these windmills of getting these people elected to the Congress. It's it's a uh, it's 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 these these online <laughs> these online leftists who think that like having like a big social media platform, uh, like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's Twitter, is a they're mistaking that for real power. Mm-hmm. It, it's <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. So that that's it. That's that's laying out like a, a decades long problem. A decade program that can see success you know Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and that's it um it's it's actually not terribly it's actually not a terribly complex issue working class parties have done this Mm -hmm. in in democracies the worldwide in a whole variety of of economic circumstances um It's just very difficult in that it requires concerted effort on the Mm -hmm. part of hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people for probably decades.
0: Mm -hmm. Anything you'd like to add to that? Sure.
4: I think uh, up until a couple of months ago, the primary mission of class unity was to um, reach out to nominally socialist people within the nominal left, and try to win over as many people to uh, material Marxist politics as possible. Um, Try to find the people that agree with us, try to find the people that are sympathetic or can be won over. Uh, And all of us have been involved in our own, you know, political campaigns, either within the DSA or outside of it. I used to be in tenant organizing. Lately, I've been in in healthcare. Uh, advocating for universal healthcare. Uh, And so now as an organization, we're going to kind of taking a big step to start our own political projects. And it's a totally different ballgame when you're just, you want to reach out, you just want to find, you know, ordinary working class people and try to talk to them, try to Mm -hmm. win them over to class politics. It's totally different conversation. Uh, But I think Uh, just shifting away from the identity and getting clear on class struggle. That's a big improvement. That's progress in itself. Um, And I would say that we have sort of a history of, of, of how, how working people have, have won things. And it's, to me, it's never, you know, super magical. It, it always involves, um, workers unions um, it it always involves you know um, you know like really concrete uh, policy geared towards materialist uh, material gain uh, for people so I don't think there's anything magic about it what happens in the left maybe because it's so fragmented maybe because there's not a a long a strong enough history a tradition of of socialist struggle that you know we like to jump from one fad to the other um, you know you know the the last couple of things were like are, are different the police or like vaccine right. policy or these these weird things that like they they just come and go. Um, kind of wishing that like oh this political this this political moment is new it's different from all the others, uh, and sometimes it's just not that way. So I, I think um, you know the way forward is just sort of a laser focus on um, you know how do we get our, how do we get money? You know, how do we, how do we win? How do we, how do we win things for ourselves? Uh, if we stay focused on that, that that's the way forward in my opinion.
0: Amazing. Awesome. So I want to just ask where can people find out more information? I know you guys mentioned, I guess it's classunity.org. You yep. got us. And, um, I also just want to ask, you know, you were talking about you have some free education and stuff like that, that is available. I'm wondering if it's available if you're not an American, like would non-Americans be welcome to peruse your resources and so on?
4: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we offer regular courses currently. Oh, well, I don't know when you're going to release the podcast, but currently we're uh, running uh, a course called Intro to Class Unity. Um It's it's still in the beginning stages and you can jump in at any time. That's the way the readings are organized. So if you're listening to this podcast and we're still doing it, just go to that webpage and sign up for it. After that, we're going to do a course on imperialism. um, uh, Follow probably another by another intro to class unity. And over the summer, we're going to do a long course uh, through sort of like uh, a few weeks of, of reading Marx's capital, uh, the, the most important parts. So um, it's a really strong political education program, in my opinion, if that's the stuff you're into. Um, you know, please join us, you don't have to be a member. Uh, if you if you are interested in joining the, you know, a network of serious uh, socialist organizers, um, you could consider joining class unity. Uh, um, you'll find the link to join on our website as well. Um, and, um, it's, 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 it's pretty easy to join We we don't, we're not very demanding and we don't have any dues at least at the moment. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah. If you, if you agree with, um, you know, a, a good number of things we said, we you're interested. Yeah. Uh, please join us.
2: Hell yeah, man. I just want to say, uh, Whenever people ask me, like, where can I read more about your views? Like, I've never come across this kind of leftism before. I always send them to the class unity reading list because they're like amazing, like top quality shit, you know, and like really well curated. Um, And uh, wait, I wanted to say something else. What was it? Oh, yeah. Is there is there a class unity branch in Canada? I thought I heard about that at one point, but
3: maybe that was not real. (laughs) I guess y'all are going to have to set one up. Uh, Maybe, maybe. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
4: Yeah.
3: All right,
2: wicked man. That was a great interview. Thank you guys so much.
0: Thank you so much, and we'll share all of the links and information in the show notes for people. Um, and we recommend our American listeners to join Class Unity. Thanks, Anybody guys. can
4: join, no matter where you live.
0: Oh, uh, anyone can yeah. join. Okay. Yeah, well yeah. then, I mean, we definitely have a lot of American listeners, but yes, if anyone can join, that's even better. Okay. Thanks so much, guys.
3: Thanks. Thank you.